everyone, and welcome to the Live Through Jesus podcast with Courtney Gilman. On this episode, we're going to be talking about the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. We'll be looking at what that looks like throughout our lives and the implications that it has on society and our relationship with our father in heaven. The Ten Commandments are found in Exodus 20 and in Deuteronomy 5, and I'll be reading all of them from the ESV version. Quickly before we get started, if you're new to Live Through Jesus, make sure you go to livethroughjesus.com and sign up to receive your free five-week Bible study over Abraham. There you'll also find blog posts that coincide with the teachings on this podcast and social media links, which is another way to keep in touch throughout the week. Okay, let's get started. Do you remember the how-to papers that we used to do in school? I like those. I need like a how-to paper for life because I do much better whenever somebody gives me details as to how to do something instead of just saying, do this or don't do this. For instance, if you were to say to me, Courtney, love your neighbor, I would probably say, okay, fine. Say my neighbor does this. What would loving them look like in that context? That's what I want to know. And thankfully, God knew there were going to be people out there like me, and he couldn't just give me only a list of commands. He needs to give me a little details as to how to do that. And so he does give the list of the Ten Commandments, but he also gives us throughout the Bible ways to actually do that. And then he also gives us stories of people's lives so that we can see the things that they do right and the things that they do wrong. And I love that. I love to look at people's lives and see how did they follow God or not follow God. That helps me to do better also. But then something else that I really love that he does is he takes something that we already know and understand, and then he relates it to something spiritual so that we can better understand that. Or he'll teach us a command and it looks like it's an earthly thing, but really it's also teaching us something further spiritually. And so today, as we look at the fifth commandment, we're going to look at several places throughout the Bible that God explains to us exactly how to honor our father and our mother. And then we're also going to see what the further implications are for that in society and spiritually with our relationship with God. And so before we get started, I just want to tell you that in the Ten Commandments, the first four deal specifically with our relationship with God. But beginning with the fifth commandment, the focus shifts to our relationship with others. And the very first relationship that we have with anyone is our parents, right? So it makes sense that that would be where God begins. And so Deuteronomy 5.16 says, Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. And so that's the commandment, honor your father and your mother. Now, we need to also know that it's not just our parents. This gets extended also to 
people that are just older than us. And so it says in 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. And then if you skip down to verse 17 of that same chapter, it says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And so the commandment to honor our parents is extended to people that could be father figures and mother figures, right? People that are just older than us, we should treat as we would our parents. And then I'm going to go ahead and read a few more verses about honoring our elders, because this will give us a better idea as to how and why. Leviticus 19.32 says, You shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God, I am the Lord. Job 12.12 says, Wisdom is with the aged and understanding in length of days. And then 1 Peter 5, 5 says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so this Job verse tells us that the reason we are honoring those that are older than us is because wisdom comes with age and understanding comes with the more days you've lived. And so he's basically saying these people are more experienced than you. They've learned a little bit in this life and they have things to teach you. And so Obviously, that's the same thing for our parents, too. And so that's why it's extended to elders is because everyone that is older than us has more life experience than us and therefore should be wiser and have a little bit more understanding than we do. Now, the first Timothy verse says, do not rebuke an older man. So that would be a way to honor them. Don't rebuke them because they're supposed to be rebuking us, right? We're not supposed to be rebuking them. And then Leviticus says, stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man. And this is just giving us a picture of like standing at attention, right? Whenever you stand up for something like we would the pledge or prayer or reading a scripture or any other time that we would stand up when something is happening, it's giving the picture of I am paying attention to only this because what happens when you stand up? You put everything down that you're doing. You stop whatever you're doing. You're not laying back. You're not just sitting there, you know, paying no attention. When you stand up, it's like, okay, I'm paying attention to whatever's going on here. And so what it's trying to say is you pay attention when the older person comes in the room. You pay attention when the older person speaks because they have something to say to you. You pay attention when they're showing you things. And so this is what it means to stand up before the gray head. And then the first Peter verse says to be subject to our elders with all humility. And so this means that we are supposed to humble ourselves and place ourselves beneath this person. We are subject to them. We are lower than them and they are above us. 
that honors them. When we recognize you are higher than me and I'm placing myself underneath your authority. Now, let's look at several other verses that talk about our parents so that we can see some other ways that we can honor them. Leviticus 19, 1 through 3 says, The Lord spoke to Moses and said, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his father and his mother. Respect them. Proverbs 6, 20, my son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. So obey, don't rebel. Proverbs 13, 1, a wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer doesn't listen to rebuke. So listening. Proverbs 15, 5, a fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. So accept their correction. They're trying to help you. They're trying to make you a better person, keep you safe, prevent you from suffering consequences, all of those things. So pay attention, listen to what they have to say and accept their correction. So as a child, Honoring our parents mostly consists of respecting them, listening to them, obeying them, learning from them, and allowing them to teach and correct us. And as adults, we continue to listen to our parents and respect them. They have loved us longer than anyone else on the earth, and they've invested more in us, and they care more about us. A parent's love is like no other love, right? And so we always want to honor our parents, no matter what age we are. But it takes some different forms as we get older. One thing that changes as we become adults is we no longer obey their every command, right? At the age of 40, we don't have to do exactly what they say. So what does honoring them in obedience look like for the adult child? Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. And then even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So honoring our parents is remembering what they taught us and continuing in that way. That is the obedience of an adult child, continuing in the ways that we were taught. Our parents are honored whenever we become godly loving, caring, successful, productive citizens, workers, spouses, parents, right? When they see that we're doing the things that they taught us and that that has made us a great person, then they are honored. That's the obedience of an adult child. Continuing in what they taught you when you were young. Obeying that. Proverbs 31, 28 says, Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. So the blessing for a mother is to see that the fruit of her labor is good. That she didn't do all this in vain. That everything she said to you, you still remember. All the things that you taught, that she taught you, you're continuing in those ways. That honors her. 
any of you that are moms, you know, it's a lot of work and you want to know that it paid off. And that is what honors you. Proverbs 17, 6 says, grandchildren are the crown of the aged and the glory of children is their father's. And then verse 25 says, a foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to the one that bore him. Proverbs 19, 26, he who does violence to his father and chases away his mother is a son who brings shame and reproach. So we don't want to bring shame and bitterness and reproach and grief and pain to our parents, right? What we want is for them to be proud of us. And so the way to do that as an adult child is to continue in the ways that they taught us. And then obviously continue to be respectful, loving, make sure that they know that they're still a very important person in your life. Honoring someone is just showing them significance showing them that they're important. That's what happens when you stand up when someone enters the room, right? It's like, oh, this is a very important person. And so that's what we continue to do as adults to honor our parents is continue to show them that they are very, very important to us and that all the things that they taught us are important to us and their approval is important to us. And we want them to be proud of us in Proverbs 15, 20, it says, a wise man makes a glad father, but a foolish man despises his mother. And so obviously we want our parents to be glad. We want to make them happy. This is the honor of an adult child. Now, as our parents get older, we honor them by taking care of them. 1 Timothy 5, 3, and 4 says, Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. And then in the same chapter, verse 8, But if anyone doesn't provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his own household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And so why does this verse say that we take care of our parents when they get older? Towards the end of verse four, it says we do this to make some return to our parents. And so we're returning the favor to them. What did they do for us as a child? They gave us life. That's why they're significant to us, right? But they also gave up their lives for us. They took care of us. They provided for us at the expense of their own comforts and the things that they wanted and needed much of the time because they loved us. And so when they get old and they can't do everything for themselves anymore, then we're supposed to return the favor, take care of them, provide for them, sacrifice our own comforts and the things that we may want and need for a time for them. What an honor it is for a parent to see that the child realizes all the sacrifices that they made for that child for their whole life. And they're now willing to sacrifice some things for that parent in return. What an honor, right? So hopefully that gives you a little bit of understanding as to how to honor your parents throughout your life from childhood and then adulthood and then as your parents 
get older. Now I want to get into what the Bible says happens for those that do obey and what happens for those that don't. And so at the end of that commandment, whenever I read it and it said, honor your father and your mother, it said that it will go well with you and you will live long in the land. And then Paul reminds the church of Ephesus about this in his letter to them in Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. And it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. And then this is the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And then it says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so why does it go well with us? And why would they live long in the land just by obeying their parents? The first reason is because God blesses the children who obey his word, right? But the logical, practical reason that someone would live long if they obeyed their parents is because oftentimes our parents give us commands to keep us safe. And so it would make sense that if we obey our parents and we don't do things that cause us harm or kill us, (laughs) then we would live a longer time than if we do those things and get hurt or die. And then the reason that it will go well with us if we obey our parents is because their commands help us not to suffer the consequences of our bad decisions and help us live more successful and productive lives. And so it will go well with us. And so honoring our parents brings us life and blessings, but rebelling against our parents brings death and curses. And then listen to what it says in Exodus 21, 15 and 17. Whoever strikes his father and his mother shall be put to death. 17. Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. And then Leviticus 20 verse 9 says, For anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother and his blood is on him. And then in Deuteronomy 21, 18 to 21, there is an entire story. Remember, I told you that God uses people's lives sometimes to give us an example as to how to do something or what happens when we do or do not. And that's what's happening here. And it says, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, he will still not listen to them. Then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gate of the place where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of the city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. And then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst and all of Israel shall hear and fear. So this obviously sounds really, really harsh to us, right? But several things are happening here. God is trying to show what I just said earlier, that 
obeying brings life and blessings and rebelling brings death and curses. So that's the first thing. But you also notice that this isn't just a son that just doesn't do what his parents say at some point. This is a person that is in continuous rebellion, consistently over and over and over again, disobeying their parents. They just have a complete spirit of rebellion. They never listen to them. Complete dishonor, no matter what the parents do, no matter how they discipline them, no matter how they try to teach them, they will not listen. And so this is the type of person that he's talking about here, not just a person that's occasionally disobedient or even maybe oftentimes disobedient, but a person that is persistently, consistently disobedient all the time in a complete state of rebellion. And so the next thing that we have to understand that God is doing when he's delivering the Ten Commandments is, yes, he is telling us individually the laws that we should be living by. But he's also setting up their society. Remember, they're just beginning their new nation. And so he's setting up the parameters for their whole nation, the laws that they are to abide by in order for them to have a flourishing society. And anyone that is in complete, total rebellion against their parents is going to be in complete, total rebellion against all authorities. And then they will also influence others. And that's why it says you will purge the evil from your midst because you don't want someone that is going to just cause complete chaos in society and pull everyone else into it also to continue living amongst your people. Someone that is in a complete state of rebellion against their parents is going to rebel against everyone and break every law and just do what they want all the time, regardless of what other people want and how it affects others. And so you can see now that learning to obey your parents, listen to them, place yourself under their authority and do what they say is practice for also doing that as you get older with other authority figures, because obedience doesn't end with our parents, right? We just get out of our parents' house and then we have other authority figures to obey. We have bosses, we have government officials, we have spiritual leaders, people that we are supposed to place ourselves underneath, honor and do what they say. And so God teaches us this very early with people that love us and nurture us and care about us so that you can practice and learn to obey authorities out in the world who may or may not have much of a relationship with you at all. And so I'm going to read you a couple of verses about honoring the authorities in our lives as we get older. Romans 13, 1 says, let every person be subject. That's what the first Peter verse said that we were supposed to do with our elders, be subject to them. So let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. There is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. So this is government officials. First Peter 2, 13 to 17, be subject for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil 
and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of the foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. So not just saying, oh, I'm free to do whatever I want. Remember, that's what we said that the rebellious person is doing. But instead, live as servants of God. So placing yourself beneath. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. And then Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Place yourself beneath them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So this is talking more about spiritual leaders or people out in the world that do know you and care about you and are trying to better you, trying to help you mature and live a good life that may not be your parents, but are doing more of the things that a parent would do, trying to help you. So he says, if they're doing this, then you need to listen to them, pay attention to what they're saying and and follow them. And you notice at the end of this verse, this Exodus verse, he says that you're not only doing this to purge the evil from your midst, but so that all of Israel will hear about it and fear. And so fearing Authority is part of why we honor people sometimes. Hopefully we honor our parents because we love them. And hopefully we follow the laws because we know that they're good for us. But if that doesn't motivate us, then the consequences of not doing that should. So that's another reason that the consequences are there. So this is the part where I said God takes something that we do understand, an earthly relationship, and relates it to something spiritual or teaches us how to do something here on this earth that has spiritual implications. And so the parent-child relationship is supposed to be a model of our relationship with the Father God. And so by learning to listen and obey and respect and follow our parents, we are practicing for the same type of relationship with our Heavenly Father. And if we have a respectful, trusting, obedient relationship with our parents who are flawed, right, then it should be even easier for us to listen to, obey, respect, and trust God who is perfect and loving and all-knowing and all-powerful and cares about us and provides for us and is a good God, right? If we can do this with our parents, we should easily be able to do this with God. If we honor them because of who they are and what they've done for us, then how much more can we honor God for who he is and what he does for us? 1 Timothy 1.17 says, To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So he's the king, immortal, invisible, the only God. If we can honor our parents, then how much more can we honor God who is all of those things? 
But then on the flip side, because our relationship with our parents mirrors our relationship with God, then it makes a little bit more sense that rebelling against the commandment would be punishable by death. Someone that completely, totally refuses to obey and respect authority is not going to respect the authority of the Father God either. These type of people harm society and influence others to also rebel against God and the laws of of society. And so then the whole nation would just be in chaos and sin. And remember how I said this was supposed to be a deterrent for those that didn't honor their parents for the sake of who they are and what they've done, then maybe they'll honor them because they know that they will suffer severe consequences if they don't. And so learning to fear the consequences of disobeying also helps us learn how to fear God and the consequences of disobeying him. Matthew 10, 28 says, do not fear those that can kill the body, but can't kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And so we would fear disobeying our parents because we could face the death penalty here on this earth. But it's saying disobeying God, complete rebellion. See, this helps us to understand the difference between complete rebellion and just disobeying because we disobey God all the time. We sin all the time. We miss the mark that he has for us all the time. But someone that completely rebels against God and says, I don't care what you say. I'm going to do exactly what I want and I don't care what you have to say. Then that person obviously has rejected God and all of his laws and We understand a person like that not being able to live in heaven with us forever. Why would we, why would God want someone in heaven that hates him? And why would they want to be there? Right. And so the consequences of disobedience here on this earth are really small in comparison to the consequences of disobeying God and suffering those consequences for eternity. And so even though it may seem really harsh to us, He's trying to show you this is a really big deal. Disobedience, complete, total rebellion and rejection of what you're told to do is serious. It's a very big deal and it can have eternal consequences. And so we need to learn to accept correction before it turns into, you know, some huge consequence. We need to learn how to accept correction from our parents. And then as we get older from other authority figures, uh, people that care about us, we need to learn how to accept correction from them so that we can have a repentant heart. So we can not be rebellious, but instead be repentant, change our ways. That's the purpose of correction. Paul talks about this a little to the church in Corinth. Whenever he's correcting them, he explains a little bit about why he corrects them. And this is, again, a relationship that we understand from a parent-child perspective. And he's saying it in a perspective of being a leader of a church. And he says, even if I made you grieve with my letter, I don't regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, but only for a while. 
As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through this. For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. And so this is the second letter to the church in Corinth that Paul has written. And so what he's saying is, is that, you know, I may have upset a few of you with the first letter. And at first that bothered me. I thought, oh, I didn't really want to upset them. And then I thought, no, it's okay. They're only upset for a small amount of time. And they needed that to change their ways. And so he says, you know, at first I was a little bothered by it. And now I'm like, no, I'm happy because that made them repent. And so he said, feeling sad about something that you did in the right way, if it produces repentance, a change in you, then that's good. That brings life. That changes things. But if you just feel ashamed of everything and you just keep doing it, but you start hiding it, that's worldly grief. And he said that would be bad because that produces death. And so the person that loves us, the parent that loves us is trying to produce godly grief in us, something that will change our ways and make make us repent. And Paul says, that's what I'm doing with the church. And God does that with his children also. And so we have to learn how to receive correction and not let it make us ashamed and hide and just keep doing all the things that we want to do and just hide them from everybody because we feel guilty if other people know about them. But instead, we need to let it make us feel bad about them and say, yeah, that's something I shouldn't be doing. This person cares about me. They're trying to help me. I should listen to them, honor them and change what I'm doing. Do what they say instead. And so that shows us a spiritual authority and how to honor that person. And then in Hebrews 12, God gives this full picture. He just comes right out and says it. He says, hey, this is how you relate to your fathers on earth. And this is how I want you to relate to me. This is how your fathers on earth relate to you. And this is how I relate to you. This is why I do the things that I do. And this is what I expect you to do in return. So Hebrews 12, 7 through 11, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which you have participated, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our own good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So here God is saying exactly what Paul was saying. He says, sometimes I have to make you a little sad. It might not seem pleasant at the time, but it's training you. It's teaching you to be obedient, to be repentant, to change your ways. And that is what a father does. A good father who loves his child 
tries to teach him the right ways and correct him when he does wrong because he wants him to be a good person. And if you a father doesn't do that, then he's not treating a son like he should. God says, I'm doing this because I'm treating you like a son, like someone that I love, that I care about. And then he says, you know, your father did what he thought was best and you respected him for that. And then we know that our fathers are flawed people, right? And we still listened and respected them when they corrected us. And so he says, how much more can you do that with me? I'm perfect. Anything I tell you to do is completely, totally right. And you know it all the time. Yet you trusted your fathers that you knew were flawed and you did what they said. And so how much more can you trust me and obey me in what I say to do? Earlier, we said that we honor our parents and listen to them and obey them because they're older and wiser than us. And so if we do that with our parents, then how much more can we do that with the most wise, the most knowledgeable one of all? Just as we are valuable to our parents and they care about us, it is the same with God. And just as they know us, God knows us too, and he holds our future in his hands. Matthew 10, 29 through 31 says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So if God cares so much about a sparrow that it won't, he won't even let it fall to the ground without his say so, then how much more does God value our lives? How much more does he care about us? He's not going to tell us to do something that hurts us. If we trust that our parents aren't going to do that, then how much more can we trust that God cares about us and has our best interest at heart? Listen to what it says in Psalm 139, 1 through 6. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you have known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts afar off. You search out my path and my lying down and you're acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, oh, Lord, you know it all together. Wow. Okay, so God knows us better than anyone. On this earth, our parents pretty much know us better than anyone, at least for the first years of our lives. They know how we best learn, how we will respond in certain circumstances and when we're dealt with in certain ways. They know how to deal with us because they know us. But God (laughs) knows when we sit down and when we get up. And it says he can understand our thoughts, (laughs) It says he searched our paths and he knows our lying down. He's acquainted with all our ways. He knows exactly how we're going to react, just like we were saying with our parents. And it says he even knows the word on our tongue before we speak it. These are things that we can sometimes do with our kids, right? Sometimes we know exactly what they're going to say. And we're like, hey, you don't say it. You're going to be in trouble. Don't even say it, right? We know what they're saying. And a lot of times we know what our kids are thinking. We know the way that they handle things, right? Just like I said earlier. But God knows those things like infinitely more than our parents do. And so if he knows us that well, then he knows exactly what makes us tick, right? He knows exactly how to get us to listen, 
how we're going to respond to things, what we're going to do, what we're thinking, what we're going to say, all of it. And so then verse five, he said, you hem me in behind and before you lay your hand on me. So what is this? This is protection, comfort. He lays his hand on us and he hems us in from behind and before. So he gives us these boundaries. He says, don't go any further than this. Don't turn back, right? Stay within these bounds. This is his protection. The same thing that our parents do with us. He's laying his hand on us. He's covering us just as a father does to his child. Don't go beyond this point. I'm trying to protect you. Listen, do what I say. Verse six, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high. I can't attain it. Exactly what we were saying before. We can't even understand how much God knows us. And then skip down to verse 13. And he says, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame wasn't hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. So one reason that we love our parents is because they made us, right? But this verse is saying God made us. If we love our parents for bringing us into this world, then how much more should we love and honor God for forming us, knitting us together in our mother's womb, seeing us before we were even formed, and then loving us and caring about us all throughout our lives. It says that his thoughts towards us are so precious and so many that we can't understand them and we can't count them. We can't even fathom why he loves us and how much. And so if we honored our parents who love us and care about us and understand us, a fraction of what God does, then how much more can we do that with him? And so he's saying, if you practice doing all this with your parents, then it's going to be easy for you to do with me because I love you even more. I know you even better. I provide for you in a way that they can't. And then listen to what it says in Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And so this is the returning the favor part. Remember how we said when our parents get old, we return the favor to them because they loved us. They provided for us. They cared for us. They sacrificed for us. They invested in us. They provided for us. They did that for us for our whole lives. And they only asked that we do that for a small amount of time at the very end on a much smaller scale than what they did for us at the very end. 
They did all of that for us. And all they're asking is that we do it on a much smaller scale for them at the end, right? And it's the same with God. He says, I loved you so much that I sacrificed my own life for you. And so how much more can you sacrifice for me? That verse in Psalms tells us that he loves us beyond measure. He's provided for us our entire lives. He has invested in us. And now this verse is telling us that he was willing to sacrifice his own life for us. And so if he can die for us, can we not live for him? What he's asking of us in return is on a much, much, much smaller scale, right? We can never love him as much as he loves us. The fraction that we can give to him in return is nothing. What we are even able to give to God in return is the tiniest, tiniest fraction of what he's given to us. And so he says, hey, if I can die for you, can you not at least live for me? That's all I'm asking. Remember that verse earlier that said being servants of God. That's what he's asking of us. If we can obey our parents, if we can then obey the authorities and leaders in our society, then how much more can we serve him, place ourselves beneath him, do what he asks for us to do? So I hope this gives you some practical ways to obey your parents and then more broadly submit yourselves to the authorities in this society. And it helps you a little bit understand why it's such a big deal to the Lord that we're practicing for being good children of our father in heaven. That's what, that's what this is really all about. So that's all we have today. Next week, we're going to go into the sixth commandment. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss that episode. Please email me or comment wherever you're listening. Tell me if this, you know, gave you any insight into this commandment that you didn't have before, helped you in any way. I would love to know. Also, go to my website at livethroughjesus.com. You can find my email there if you want to email me. And then also there will be a blog post that coincides with this lesson. You can read that. And then all my social media all throughout the week, I try to post some verses that pertain to this on social media. So go there and check all of that out. And then I'll see y'all back next week. Thanks and have a good day.